Again, I hope you did pick up a uh, copy of the uh, sermon notes. And in light uh, of the celebration of uh, Thanksgiving this Thursday, uh, I thought it would be good to share a message on Psalm 100, which I've entitled, How to Ignite Thanksgiving in My Heart Toward God. What strikes me about the Bible, and we will see this in Psalm 100, is that God's child is commanded not just to do or not do certain things, but to actually feel certain things about God. The Bible commands not just our outward conduct and acts, but also our inner attitudes, uh, affections, and feelings. Uh, For example, in the matter of thanksgiving, we are commanded not just to mouth thanks to God, but to do so from a heart that feels thankful to God, a heart that is overflowing with affection and gratitude to God. What makes this even more interesting and challenging is that we are commanded to be thankful toward God in all life's circumstances, good or bad. You're familiar with 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It reads, in what? All things or in everything Give thanks to God, for this is His will towards you in Christ Jesus. And let me add, in that very same passage, we read in uh, verse 16, rejoice always. So in that one passage, we're to give thanks in everything. There's no exception. We're to rejoice always. Now, this raises, at least in my mind, uh, a very intriguing and also a very practical question. What do I do as a child of God when I do not feel thankful? When I do not feel like rejoicing? When I do not feel happy? Which is often the case. Every one of us struggles with the blues. We struggle with feelings of being down and out. I believe Psalm 100 contains the secret on how to move from feelings of frustration, anger, discouragement, and sadness to experience genuine feelings of thankfulness and joy towards God in our hearts. So let's begin by reading Psalm 100, and it's printed there for you in your notes, and I'll explain in just a moment why I have printed it in the fashion that you see it in your notes. Verse 1, and here's where we are commanded to feel certain things about God that produces acts of joy and gratitude. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. 
It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Now, the first thing that we want to observe is how this psalm is constructed, the structure of the psalm, which is the key to learning the lesson it teaches on how to ignite thanksgiving in our heart towards God. Notice how the psalm is printed in your notes. Verses 3 and 5 are capitalized, and you'll notice they are broader wider than verses 1, 2, and 4. What I am attempting to communicate in that simple visual is that the truth, for example, in verse 3 provides the ground, the support, the foundation for the experience that we discover in verses 1 and 2. And the truth in verse 5 provides the same for the experience in verse 4. In other words, before you can enjoy the experience described in verses 1, 2, and 4, you must know and embrace the truth that you discover about God in verses 3 and 5. So let me explain this further. Look again at verses 1 and 2. We're given three imperatives in verses 1 and 2. Three commands. Notice, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. That's the first command. Second, serve the Lord with gladness. And then the third command, come before Him with joyful singing. And please notice, we're not just to shout to the Lord, but we're to shout to the Lord what? Joyfully. We're not just to serve God, do works for God, acts of ministry towards God, but we're to do that with gladness in our hearts. We're not just to sing, but we're to sing what? Joyfully. Observe, the emphasis is on heartfelt, heartfelt joy and gladness, which motivates and enables us to obey the commands to shout to the Lord to serve the Lord, and to come before Him with singing. Now, this also implies, and I think this is important to mention. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it also implies that when we merely go through the motions of shouting, serving, or singing to the Lord, when our hearts are not in it, that is to worship God in vain. We are to shout, we are to serve, and we are to sing to the Lord out of heartfelt joy and affection, and only then do those acts truly please, honor, and glorify God. Now go to verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Do you see the obvious contrast between uh, verses 1 and 2 and here in verse 3? Notice where in verses 1 and 2 we are called to feel something about God. 
to actually feel genuine joy and gladness, which will produce heartfelt acts of worship. Here in verse 3, we are called to learn something about God, to, to acquire truth about God. And what is that truth? To know that the Lord himself is God, to know God made us and not we ourselves, to know we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So verses 1 and 2, we're commanded to feel something about God, but in verse 3, the focus is on knowing something about God, learning about God, acquiring truth about God. Then when you move to verse 4, the emphasis returns to heartfelt and joy-filled acts of worship as we saw in verses 1 and 2. He says, enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Just like in verses 1 and 2, we are called to a delight and enjoyment with God that cannot be contained. That's what the believer is called to. A life of delight and enjoyment with God, so much so that the heart cannot contain it. Therefore, that joy, that gladness, that heartfelt affection is poured out in praise to God, in thanks to God, as we bless His name. Then notice in verse 5, we once again move from what we affectionately feel about God to truth we know about God. And what truth do we learn about God in verse 5? For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. Now here's the central truth of Psalm 100. Let me just give it to you right up front before we begin to go through those three points. As I learn truth about God, as I learn truth about God, as I learn about who God is, what He has done for me, the Bible indicates that truth will ignite thanksgiving in my heart toward God that will in turn lead to heartfelt, genuine acts of worship of God. Now, let me go back to the question that I raised at the beginning of the message. Knowing God commands me to give Him heartfelt thanks in all things, good or bad, what do I do when I don't feel thankful? What do I do when I don't feel like rejoicing, when I don't feel happy with God? Well, we discover here, I t deliberately, intentionally, Turn my focus off my circumstances. I turn away from my negative thoughts and feelings. I open God's Word, and I begin to focus on truth about God, who God is, what He has done for me, what He has promised to me. I use the fuel of truth about God to reignite my heart's passion for God and my thanksgiving to God. Now look with me now at the three points in your notes just to reinforce this basic truth. And here's the first truth. Thanksgiving to God is rooted in the knowledge of God. 
Thanksgiving to God is rooted in the knowledge of God. We've already looked at verse 3, but verse 3 highlights three truths about God that should ignite joy, gladness, thanksgiving, and heartfelt worship to God. And what are those three truths? Get these down in the next bullet points. First, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He says, know that the Lord Himself is God, God Almighty, who rules over the universe in the affairs of men. And this should make a difference. I'll give you an example. I'm going to try to give you an example for each of these points from the Scripture. I think of Habakkuk. It's one of my favorite little books. I've preached on him before, but let me just remind you because it, it, it just perfectly fits in right here about God's sovereignty. If, if, if you're familiar with the book, the, the book opens and this wonderful man of God, this prophet, he is struggling with God. He's disappointed with God. That's even too mild. He's angry with God. The book opens up and he's crying out against God because his circumstances are awful and the circumstances of the nation are awful as they're racing towards judgment. He doesn't see God, from his perspective, doing anything. God is not acting as he would have expected him to have acted. And he, and he rails out against God. God, I don't believe you care. I don't believe you're fair. And he's really struggling, just like we struggle. And let's be honest. I mean, I can't imagine there's anyone in this sanctuary that has not struggled with disappointment with God. Where at times you struggle with those feelings, you know, it just doesn't seem like God cares. It just doesn't seem like God's being fair right now. And, and, and we're hurting. And it can create a wedge between us and God. And this is what's happening in Habakkuk's life. And, and that's what you find in verse, in chapter 1. It's just three little chapters. Then you move to chapter 2. And I've always found this fascinating. And this is typically true of God when we're hurting, when we're struggling. God typically doesn't bother to give us explanations. Because he, by the way, is sovereign and he is God. But he gives promises. That's what he does. He doesn't give explanations. But he gives promises. And in chapter 2, he gives Habakkuk three promises. He says, Habakkuk, the just will live by faith. Habakkuk, right now, you can't trace my hand. You see no rhyme or reason for what's happening. But although you can't trace my hand, are you willing to trust my heart? And then the second promise he gives him, I believe it's in verse 14 about, he says, Habakkuk, I'm giving you a promise. The earth will be filled with my glory. I'm letting you know what the outcome of all of this is going to be. I will be glorified. I will be the victor and all those who stand with me. And then the last promise he gives him is the very last verse of that chapter where he, he it reminds Habakkuk that, hey, I'm still on my throne. I'm still in control. So, shish, it's okay. 
It's okay. It's okay. Trust me. Then you go to chapter 3. Habakkuk's circumstances have not changed. Matter of fact, I don't have time to, the circumstances worsened. The circumstances worsened for the nation. But now his attitude is dramatically changed. And you see a man in the midst of the worst of circumstances knowing the best of joy. And let me read for you. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to Habakkuk 3. Um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 just so you understand the context in which these verses are found. Verses you have heard, but so often they're taken from their context. Verse 16, he says, I heard and my inward parts trembled at the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble because I wait, must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. In other words, he's acknowledging that I'm in the worst of circumstances, and our nation is in the worst of circumstances. We're standing under the inescapable judgment of God, and he's about to bring the Babylonians down and use them as a rod of discipline against us, and it's going to be bad. It's going to be awful. But then, in 17, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. And you know how that reads literally in the Hebrew text? It reads, I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will spin for delight in God. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on high places. Joy at its best when circumstances are at their worst. Because this man took his eyes off of his circumstances, and he began to focus on a sovereign God that he could trust, that's in control, as he guaranteed Habakkuk the ultimate outcome that God wins and the earth is filled with his glory. So God is sovereign is the first thing that we see in verse 3. Look at the second truth about God. God is creator. God is creator. That's that second bullet point. God is creator. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Again, I want to give you an an example from Scripture how this should impact our lives. Isaiah chapter 40, if you'd like to turn there. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. In the context, and you actually see this in the text, uh, God's children are, are, are struggling. Uh, they're, they're struggling with the thought that, that God's forgotten them and that, and that, you know, justice escapes God's notice. Uh, but notice what happens here. Verse 25, Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then, this is God speaking to them and God speaking to you. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal? What a question. 
To whom then, this is God speaking to you, then whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes. In other words, get them off your circumstances. Stop looking down. Lift your head up. Look on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why? Why? You know, we often say, why to God? You know, there's often in the Bible, God says, why to us? And here's an example. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Do you remember our study of the Song of the Degrees? When we we looked at that historical period when Hezekiah was king and they were invaded by the mighty Assyrian Empire. And remember he got on his walls and he was looking at this mighty horde of Assyrians and all their their military might and weaponry. And, And it was discouraging, it was overwhelming. They did not have the ability to withstand what Assyria was about to bring to them. And do you remember what the turning point was? And we saw this. Do you remember what the turning point was? It was when Hezekiah said, I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. I'm going to stop looking down at those bad Assyrians and my terrible circumstances, and I'm going to lift my eyes to the Lord For whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In other words, Hezekiah realized if God is creator, and he literally spoke this world into into existence, he breathed those mighty stars out of his very breath. What are the Assyrians to God? What are my circumstances to God? Look at the third bullet point. Not only is God sovereign, not only is my creator, God is a shepherd, a shepherd to his people. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Let me just remind you of Psalm 23. You all know this psalm. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. He's my shepherd. I love Brother David. I've, I've heard him share this funeral message I, probably hundreds of times where he'll, he'll refer to Psalm 23 and he'll say, notice it didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. It doesn't say he's the shepherd. He said it's my shepherd. In other words, this is a personal relationship that David had with the shepherd and that God's child has 
with him as the shepherd. And that word Lord is Jehovah. In other words, the one that my, who's my shepherd is Jehovah. And Jehovah is what? The great I am. Whatever I need, what? God is. And that's why he says, as long as I stay close to the shepherd, what? I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's God's provision. He makes me, he leads me beside quiet waters. That's God's peace. Even in the midst of the storm, he restores my soul. That's God's pardon. The healing of my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's God's providence. And God's providence is that God in his omniscience, because he set his love on me in eternity past, he has foreseen every crisis, every adversity I will ever encounter in life. And foreseeing all that, he's already made provision. I don't have to come to a God and beg him, twist his arm as if he's reluctant. He's already made provision. My great privilege, my great joy and excitement is to start just looking because it's there. But so what happens when we don't understand this, when we don't focus on the truth, we succumb to our feelings, we get so distracted about what might or might not happen, we totally miss God as a present reality. And we miss the provision. He's, he's some, sometimes... Yeah, you know, one of the things, I don't know if God will allow this, but, I, but I, I'm sincere about this. I wonder if God had given me the, the opportunity. I know it would be a sad thing, but I, w- I would like it. When I get to heaven, if he'll give me the opportunity to look back to see all the care packages I missed. That I just stumbled over and just totally missed because of my anxiety, because of my fear. Because of being so wrapped up in the circumstances, what might or might not happen, I just missed him and failed to focus in on him. Then he goes on, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. There's God's presence. You're riding your staff, they comfort me. There's preservation. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's protection. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. There's God's plentiful blessing on my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's what? Paradise. Paradise, which is my eternal home. And then I'll give you another one. John 10, verses 27 and 29. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. The shepherd knows you. He knows every one of his sheep. And he says, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has never lost one of his little lambs. Now, often we hurt ourselves by our own rebellion and straying, but that does not alter his love for us. And he comes after us with a passion to correct, to discipline, because he's thinking of only our good and what's best for for us. And then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Now, 
This even gets better. Because now we need to ask that question you see in your notes. Well, what is the sovereign creator who is our shepherd? What's he like? That sovereign creator who's our shepherd, what's he like in the essence of his person, his character? And notice those next three put upon. The first thing that we see is God is good. That sovereign creator who is my shepherd, he is good. It says, for the Lord is good. I think of James 5.11. It says, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. I wanted to use this one. Because who suffered more than Job? Who Who knew greater pain? Who knew greater perplexity than Job? I mean, here is a man... That, was, that just was in the throes of his pain, totally perplexed, often did rail against God, questioned God. And then it says, and we have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. In other words, when the book was finished, when you come to the end of the book, when you come to the last chapter, when you come to the last page, what do you see about the outcome of God's dealings with Job? that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. And let me tell you, folks, God's writing the book of your life. And don't make the mistake in your disappointment and discouragement to close the book on God before he finishes the story. Because God, you allow him to finish the story, and it's always a good ending. Always a good ending. Now, we may not see that ending into eternity, I don't want to give you, I want to give you the idea that, you know, it's all pleasant here. But my point is, let God finish writing the story of your life and it will be good. Give him the freedom to arrange the affairs of your life in the way that he deems best. But not only is God good, God is love. That sovereign creator who is my shepherd is love. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let me read, and you just have to listen to this, but it's Romans 8, 28, 39 from the J.B. Phillips translation. I love, I've always loved the J.B. Phillips translation. It's one that's not very familiar to folks. It's a wonderful translation, translation of just the New Testament. It's been around a long while. And listen to this marvelous translation of this portion of Scripture. Just listen. Moreover, we know that those who love God, who are called according to His plan... Everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. God, in his foreknowledge, chose them to bear the family likeness of his son. That he, Jesus, might be the eldest of a family of many brothers and sisters as well. He chose them long ago. When the time came, he called them. He made them righteous in his sight and then lifted them to the splendor of life as his own sons. In face of all of this, listen now, in face of all of this, what is there left to say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not hesitate to spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Can we not trust such a God to give us with him everything else that we can need? 
would dare accuse us whom God has chosen. The judge himself has declared us free from sin. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, pain, or persecution? Can lack of clothes and food, danger to life and limb, the threat of force of arms? Indeed, some of us know the truth of the ancient text. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, is it a pie in the sky? Life is filled with tribulation and adversity. But then he goes on, but no, no, in all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So this sovereign creator who's my shepherd, not only is he good and he does all things good, but he loves me with a love that will never give up on me, that will never fail me, that will never stop loving. And then look at not only good, not only love, but God is faithful. Wow. His faithfulness, what? To all generations. I think of 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. And then one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust, that word entrust means to deposit for safekeeping, will entrust or deposit for safekeeping their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. There will be a payday someday. God will right every wrong one day. We can be certain of that. So this sovereign creator who's my shepherd is good, he's love, and he's faithful. Now look at the second truth. Okay, that, that's, what, that's what we have to focus on, the knowledge of God. And that knowledge of God, second point, produces delight in God. To know God produces a delight in God. And that's why you see this focus in verses 1 and 10 on those words, joyfully, gladness, joyful. In other words, it's simply, this is the simple truth. And this is it, and this is the message in a nutshell. When you know, when you know God is sovereign, controlling all things, when you know 
God is the creator who, in whom nothing is too difficult. When you know God is your shepherd who protects you, provides for you, and guides you, and when you know that the sovereign creator who is your shepherd is always good, loves you with an eternal love that will never fail you, and will be faithful forever, how can you not know joy and gladness? How? How can you reflect? on who he is, what he's done, what he's promised us, and not have your heart ignited with gladness and joy and praise and thanksgiving, regardless of what circumstances you may be in. Look at the third point, the last one, which indicates how that joy and gladness should be expressed to God. So, Knowledge produces of God produces delight in God, and delight in God is expressed by the worship of God. Delight in God is expressed by the worship of God, and that's what we see in verses 1 through 2 and verse 4. And let me just run through these expressions. First, he says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Andy Johnson will absolutely love this one right here. That word shout is ruah in the Hebrew text. You know what that word means? The literal translation It means to break with sound. The picture is the soprano hitting that high note and the glass shattering. That word means to split the ears with sound. In other words, we're talking about being loud. And how many times have you heard Andy say, what he means by that is, it's not just loudness. What What is he saying? How can we come to worship and not be enthusiastic. That's what Andy is saying to us. When you realize, again, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised us, how can we not sing with joy? How can you just sit there numb? And then he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Now listen now. I think this is important. Notice, we worship God not only intellectually, by exercising our minds to acquire truth about God, not only passionately through heartfelt affection and emotions, but also practically through deeds of service. We need to see any act of service we do in God's work, in ministry, as an act of worship. Very briefly, I'll share with you an experience God gave me that forever changed my life on this point. I've never been the same since this experience happened, never. I mean, this is something that marked me from that day to this day. Many of you will remember, in addition to Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, we operated an adoption agency for over 20 years called uh, New Beginnings Adoption and Counseling Agency. And over that period of time, Uh, I think we placed over 500 children for adoption. And we had a woman that came into Sound Choices that uh, was initially committed to obtaining an abortion. And through the love she received at Sound Choices, as they provided a window into her womb, she very dramatically turned from abortion to choose life for her baby. And uh, we had the opportunity to continue to minister to her. And this particular woman chose an adoption plan for her child. Uh, And when a woman chooses adoption, it's one of the most courageous acts of love that I've ever seen. As a woman is putting the interests of that child even above some of her own 
feelings. When the baby was born, it was a beautiful little baby girl. We initially, uh, just the agency and the, uh, uh, she was placed in a foster care home just briefly, the, uh, just several days before some legal things could be worked out and she'd be placed in the home. So in that period of time, we just we began calling her Carrie. And, um, and the day came when she was to be placed for adoption. And the foster care mom was a little concerned, nothing, nothing dramatic. She just said it doesn't seem like the little girl's thriving like she should, feeding like she should. And so just to be very, very careful, um, we uh, took her to the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, and everything came out perfectly okay. She was actually about to leave the hospital where we would have the placement ceremony with the adoptive family. And before she left the hospital, she had a massive cerebral hemorrhage. And it, and it was massive. Uh, she had to be put on life support. Eventually, after several days, the battery of doctors that were treating her came to us. And keep in mind, at that point, uh, at, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you know that knew this or might remember this, but the adoption agency, the licensed adoption agency was Edgewood Baptist Church. So prior to the placement of a child, the legal guardian of the baby was our church. So they came to us and they said, the cerebral hemorrhage has been massive. It's even beginning to deteriorate her brain stem. There's nothing more we can do. Um, we recommend just taking her off of life support. Just in a, and I appreciate these doctors uh, in an act of faith to God because there's nothing we can do more. So we just want to release her to God. If God has taken her home to be with him, we'll release her. If, if he's going to do a miracle and raise her, praise him for that. Um, we agreed to that. But in agreeing to that, uh, we determined as a ministry that little girl would never leave our arms to either God healed her or took her home to be with him. And so we sort of developed sort of a relay system. And they told us when she would be taken off of life support, and uh, I was present, uh, Phoebe was present, who was the executive director, they anticipated that she would die within minutes. And to everyone's amazement and surprise, it appeared that way initially, she rebounded. So uh, Phoebe took her, and uh, it, was, it was a Friday afternoon, but she had to leave town the next Saturday. So I agreed to come up that night, about 11 o'clock, take little Carrie from Phoebe, and then I agreed to take Carrie until our Sunday morning services when someone would then take my place. Uh, when Carrie was placed in my arms, I just prayed a... a brief prayer that God would give me the strength and, and stamina the entire time I was with that little girl, never to sleep. Just to love on her and pray for her. And, and that's exactly what I did. I'd kiss her over and over again. Y'all know I can't sing a lick. My wife can. I can't sing a lick. Uh, but Carrie didn't know any better. And I sang every hymn I knew, every praise chorus, every lullaby. Um, we got into Saturday, and Saturday was a very rough day for, for Carrie. 
as it was like a roller coaster ride for her. There, there were actually times when she was in my arm, I thought she had passed. And I'd call the nurses to come in. They would examine her. And they said, she's actually barely hanging. And then what inevitably would happen, this was the roller coaster. She would gasp. <gasps> and then that heart would start racing again. And it would slowly, it was just like all through Saturday. She was laying on my chest as I was on a recliner. And it was 2 a.m. in the morning, Sunday morning. And remember, I have not slept now since Thursday evening. And right at that moment, I just collapsed to sleep. I woke up, and when I woke up, my eyes were back fixated on the clock, and 20 minutes had expired. And sometime in that 20 minutes, the Lord took Carrie home to be with him. Now, this is where I need to be brutally honest with you. I struggled with that little girl's death. I mean, I struggled with God. I got angry with God. I was called upon to do her funeral service. I'll never forget that tiny little casket. So here I am, angry with God, disappointed with God. I'm doing a funeral service. I come out of the service, and I hit rock bottom at that point. I mean, in terms of my anger and disappointment with God, just rock bottom. And when I hit rock bottom, God spoke to me. And you understand what I mean. I didn't hear any audible voice, but one of those just strong impressions he places in your heart. And it was just this simple, this, this simple. Andy, don't you realize who that little girl was? I said, Carrie. <laughs> Andy. And then it was as if God became grieved with me. Like, Andy, you don't understand, do you? And then he drove into my heart that verse, Andy, as much as you've done it to one of the least of these, you've done it what? To me. And Andy, I want you to know every time you kissed her little cheek, you were kissing the face of God. I want you to know every time you embraced her and hugged her, you were embracing and hugging and loving me. Every time you sang to her, those songs went up as praise to my throne. I've never been the same. God changed my whole perspective and attitude on ministry and service and works. I, I saw everything I do is an act of worship. It's an opportunity to love God. Whether I'm counseling, whether I'm preaching, whether I'm ministering to somebody in need, whether I'm teaching, whatever it might be in the service of God, it's an opportunity to love Jesus to worship Him. And that's what's being said here. And then very, very quickly, of course, come before Him with joyful singing. Uh, and we come with joyful singing. Why? Because He's canceled out our sin debt. He's imputed His righteousness to us. We come not on the basis of our works, but what His finished work on the cross. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. We celebrate who God is and what He's done. Enter His courts with praise. The word praise is derived from the word ha'al, which means to admire God, to boast in God, to give God rave reviews, and then give thanks to Him and bless His name. The word bless is barak in the Hebrew text, which means to kneel. We kneel in adoration to God, to exalt God, to put God on a pedestal, to magnify God, to hold God in awe, to extol God, to revere God, to pay homage to God, to cherish and treasure God, to glorify God. Amen? 
So I pray that this message will assist us in igniting thanksgiving in our hearts towards a sovereign creator who is our shepherd, who is good, loving, and forever faithful. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, What a fitting way to close this service with the song, Worthy is the Lamb. So Andy, I, I can't think of a more fitting way to end this service